In West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playgrounds where I spent most of my days. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool and chowing. Fucking hell. You know, I can't do the whole thing. Just, uh. It's just, I. <laughs> I lost momentum right now. And, uh. Apologies if you hear any sounds in the background. That's my washing machine. Uh. You know, washing clothes. Oh, so what? You want me to walk around in dirty clothes? Is that it? Okay, I see what this is all about. It's uh, everyone wants to just point their fingers at me and say, "Oh, dirty boy, fresh, dirty boy, fresh." Guess what? Fuck you, pal. I'm washing my clothes. I'm washing my clothes, and after I record this, I'm gonna have a shower. I'm not dirty. In fact, I'm the I'm the opposite of dirty. You know that? Uh, I don't know <laughs> the word for that, but uh, all right, I'm just gonna start the show. Uh, so, hello, hi, welcome. The show's name is Politics. Although I call it Politics, and the title of this episode is All of Us Strangers. My name is Presh, and uh, my co-host is still away for, you know, reasons that aren't his fault. Uh, we don't really need to get into it right now. And yeah, I think we can just get into the cleanup from last week, which is... I was speaking about the Republican primaries last week, and I said that Nikki Haley changed her name, which is not true. Her name is Namarata Nikki Randahawa. The surname obviously changed when she got married, and she goes by her middle name, right? So she didn't change it at all. Well, uh, she didn't change her first name. That's what I should say. But the larger point I was making was that she didn't go by her regular name so that people didn't know that she was Indian. And that's still true. Going by Nikki is, uh, you know, definitely trying to hide her race, which, whatever, I don't care. I'm just pointing it out. Uh, yeah. Second thing I want to say is, last week I was speculating that Cricket South Africa is affiliated with the government, which I did some light research, and that is not true. <laughs> They're an independent corporation, so... Them stripping Tiga off the under-19 captaincy for being pro-genocide is not a free speech violation. You know, Tiga can get fucked. Uh, yeah. So let's get into the news for the week. Um, I want to discuss the case at the ICJ of South Africa accusing Israel of genocide. Well, I wanted to, right? And the particulars of that ruling. But as I was reading the story, it said that the ICJ had not called for a ceasefire. And if there's no ceasefire, then this whole thing means nothing, right? We needed a, cease, a ceasefire like two months ago. And as far as I'm concerned, everyone else who dies from now on, their blood is on the hands of the ICJ because this is fucking ridiculous, bro. <sighs> the second thing is, this excerpt is taken from news24.com in a story by Lennon Ndebele. Quote, Zimbabwe's popular opposition leader, Nelson Chamisa, says he will not, quote, swim in a river with hungry crocodiles, end quote, <laughs> or have anything to do with, quote, sewer pond politics, end quote, as he gave 84 reasons why, <laughs> 84 reasons why he was resigning from a hijacked Citizens Coalition for Change, which is their party, the CCC, the uh, official opposition party. On Thursday, Chamisa said he was taking a different direction, 
this on the secondary anniversary of the party he formed after facing similar problems with the MDC alliance after the disputed, but not challenged, August 2023 elections. Some renegades in the CCC claimed leadership roles that were non-existent because they were disgruntled by the way Chamisa was running the party. Led by one Senegozi Chabangu, the self-proclaimed secretary-general of the CCC, they engineered a recall of elected parliamentarians and local authority officials, setting up a stage for by-elections. Zanu PF went on to win a majority of the by-elections. End quote. So, first of all, I don't have much sympathy for Chamisa. He's a wild right-winger and horribly homophobic, so, you know, fuck him. But <laughs> secondary, like if if you take the politics out of it, this is so fucking funny, dude. <laughs> right? If every party that you're a part of keeps getting hijacked by <laughs> by people, maybe you should look inwards. Maybe you should think, huh? Did I do something? Did I do something that's attracting all these hijackers? Or, you know. Maybe look inwards. That's all I'm saying. That's the first point, right? Secondly, <laughs> writing out 84 reasons. <laughs> Come on now. I can't be the only one who finds that fucking funny. <laughs> writing out 84 reasons why you're resigning. <laughs> right. Um, there's just... I've realized that there's a a whole like well of untapped comedy uh from Zimbabwean politics that I'm not you know getting into enough so I think we're going to have a recurring segment of like one Zimbabwean story every week you know it's just quality content so yeah our second story of the week is South Africa's monetary policy committee the MPC kept interest rates on hold at 8.25 in its first meeting of the year, having left the benchmark rate unchanged at a 14-year high for the past nine months. So, once again, that fuck Brigitte, he fucked us, and now, <laughs> here I am being fucked. Um, frankly, this sucks, dude. I wish uh, we were all hoping that the the interest rate would come down and we'd get some relief, but <sighs> clearly not. They said that uh, inflation is still too high, so they need to keep it up for much longer. Which, uh, let's just move on because I'm getting angry as I'm speaking. All right. The third story of the week. <laughs> Bafana Bafana made it to the round of 16 of AFCON. Right, uh, which is our national team, if you're not a South African. Uh, in my main WhatsApp group, my friend said that this is not a big achievement, but to my knowledge, we usually don't even qualify for the tournament full stop, right? To qualify and then make it to the round of 16 is better than we have done in five of the last seven AFCON. So I'm just going to say I'm proud to have made the last 16, which is uh, better than most of the previous tournaments. It shows growth. That's all I'm saying. Oh, no, you you don't want growth. You want everyone to stay the, the, the same. Well, that's bad in my opinion. So let's not do that. Anyway, <laughs> then 
uh, this is going way too quickly, right? We are on eight minutes and I'm nearly done with all the news. So I need to go slowly to pad out the... T Come on now, I'm just joking. We're not allowed to joke here, all right? <sighs> oh, no, I already did that. <laughs> all right, so the Oscar segment. I was hoping my co-host would be back so that we could go through it, but uh, like I said, he's not here, so I'm just going to have to do it alone. Okay, starting with actor in the leading role. The nominees are Bradley Cooper for Maestro, Coleman Domingo for Rustin, Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers, Cillian Murphy for Oppenheimer, and Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. So, I have not seen Rustin and American Fiction, so I can't comment on those. I did, however, watch The Holdovers this week, and Giamatti is fantastic in The Holdovers. <laughs> um, Bradley Cooper, I've spoken about him before, and I thought he was rubbish, horribly overacting, just making a fool out of himself. Uh, not a fan of that performance, or that movie in general, except for Carey Mulligan. Um... Cillian Murphy I've also spoken about before on this podcast. He's the linchpin of that entire movie. So, you know, Oppenheimer sweeping, like, best director, best picture, etc. Without Cillian Murphy getting something, you know, it would be... It would be a shame, because, like I said, he's the linchpin of everything. So, you know, how do you award something without acknowledging the linchpin of it? Then, well, okay, never mind. Then, actor in a supporting role. We have Sterling K. Brown, American Fiction. Once again, I haven't seen it. Robert De Niro, Killers of the Flower Moon, who I had on my year-end wrap-up list. Uh, I think De Niro is fantastic. One of the best performances given in a long time. It's just very unfortunate that he's coming up against our third actor, Robert Downey Jr., <laughs> Because Downey, that's the biggest lock I've seen. Even, like, theoretically Oppenheimer could lose Best Picture. But I don't think there's any way Downey could lose Best Supporting. Because he's just that good. He's, you know, <laughs> he's really fantastic. Then we have Ryan Gosling for Barbie. Which, <sighs> there's been a whole lot of discourse this week about Margot Robbie getting snubbed for uh Best Actress and um, Greta Gerwig not be, uh, being snubbed for Best Director. Honestly, both of them and Ryan Gosling don't deserve to be Oscar nominated. None of those things in that, mo that movie is not Oscar worthy except in the technical categories like uh, production and uh, CGI costumes, those kinds of things. So... You know, I, I don't know what to call it, but uh, not a good nomination. Uh, and I'm a big Gosling fan. Gosling is my number one guy, but because he's my number one guy, I'm telling you that this is not good. Um, then we have Mark Ruffalo in Poor Things, which another performance I'm not a big fan of, but I can see why they would want to give him the award for this. Uh, 
Like I said, I just don't like his accent, but the physicality of his performance is there. His comedic timing is there. So it makes a lot of sense, but just not for me. Uh, and then we get to actress in a leading role. You have Annette Benning in Nyad, which I have not seen, but I also haven't heard about it from any critics up until it was nominated. So I don't know. Is that a an industry plant? I don't know. I don't know. Then we have Lily Gladstone in Killers of the Flower Moon, who I did think was fantastic, but uh, apparently she's the Oscar frontrunner right now, which I don't think she should win it. I'm pulling for Carrie Mulligan, who's our fourth nominee. Uh, I'll just say it now. Carrie Mulligan is far and away my pick. Emma Stone is my second, but... I really hope Carrie Mulligan wins it. Uh, the fifth person is Sandra Huller from Anatomy of a Fall, which I have not watched as yet. Uh, I'll be back uh, next week with uh, probably having seen Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, yeah. But yes, Carrie Mulligan, my winner. Let's see how it plays out on the night. Then we have actress in a supporting role Emily Blunt in Oppenheimer which I feel is undeserved she <laughs> she had so little screen time and she didn't have much to do and I don't think she was good so the triple threat of not being on this list uh, anyway I think they, they were just awarding Oppenheimer and they were like well we need to get a woman in here and <laughs> one of the two women you know got them in so yeah the color purple I have not seen I cannot comment on Daniel Brooks's performance so moving on America Ferreira and Barbie <laughs> potentially the least uh, award-worthy performance in every category in even in the technical categories the least deserving of being there uh, truly just an awful performance and an awful monologue and <sighs> sorry if that monologue meant a lot to you but I genuinely thought it was dog shit so goodbye Jodie Foster Nyad again I can't comment I haven't seen Nyad um, Divine Joy Randolph in The Holdovers she's good she's better than both Emily Blunt and America Ferreira but I don't know if I would call her Oscar-worthy either. So, yeah. Best Supporting Actress is kind of a shit show, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Best Animated Feature Film. Well, I've only seen two of them. One being... Ele and we've covered them both on this podcast. Elemental and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, <laughs> I haven't... The other three I haven't seen... But hopefully the other three win because both of these are not Oscar-worthy uh, animated movies. Please get them the fuck out of here. Uh, based on reputation, I would assume The Boy and the Heron by Miyazaki would win. But I have no <laughs> insider scoop on that. So let's move on. Cinematography. Easy, easy, easy win for Hoyt van Hoytema. Uh, you know, the 
like sprawling vistas in Oppenheimer, which is gorgeous. Uh, freaking gorgeous. The rest, uh, we have Edward Lackman for El Conde, Rodrigo Preto for Killers of the Flower Moon, Matthew Libatik for Maestro, and Robbie Ryan for Poor Things. Sorry, gang. Uh, <laughs> better luck next time. Then we have costume design. Uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna kind of do the same thing as the last one. Ellen Moronic, you you're taking it home for Oppenheimer once again. Those those coats, the whole costume design was gorgeous. It's <sighs> I feel like the Academy is probably gonna give it to Barbie, but for me, I just wanted to wear every suit that those guys were wearing, you know in a movie full of guys with suits, I was just like, oh, that suit, that suit, that suit, I love that suit. <laughs> so, you know, that's what good costume is to me, if I'm a weird thing. But, uh, I'm just joking, that was a joke, sorry. Again, we're not allowed to joke on this. Comedy is dead. Uh, wokeness killed it. And, <laughs> so, yeah. The other nominees, obviously, Jacqueline Darren for Barbie. Jacqueline West for Killers of the Flower Moon, Janty Yates and David Crossman for Napoleon, uh, Holly Waddington for Poor Things. Uh, again, sorry gang, pack it up and try again next time. Uh, directing. <clears throat> do I have to do this again? <laughs> no, but seriously. Nominees, Justin Trier, Nom Anatomy of a Fall, haven't seen it yet, we'll report back next week. Martin Scorsese, Martin Scorsese, Killers of the Flower Moon, very good movie. Unfortunately, my second best movie of the year behind, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, which would be my number one uh, pick. Uh, I really think Oppenheimer is going to sweep, not every category, because uh, there's something coming up I might disagree with, but uh, most categories. Then... <laughs> Yorgos Lanthimos, Poor Things, which I covered here last week, and there's just something missing. That was the main point of my review, that there's something missing. And, yeah, it's just not as good as Oppenheimer or Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, the Zone of Interest, Jonathan Glazer, I have not watched and I can't comment. Uh, yeah. Then we have Documentary Feature Film. We have Bobby Wine, The People's President, The Eternal Memory, Four Daughters, To Kill a Tiger, Twenty Days in Mariupol. I have not watched any one of them. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck you think I am, bro, watching documentaries? Oh, get the fuck out of here. Alright. Documentary short film. The ABCs of Book Banning. The Barber of Little Rock. Island in Between. The Last Repair Shop, Nai Nai and Waipo. Once again, haven't seen a single one. Sorry, <laughs> sorry that I'm not giving much coverage or good coverage, I should say. Let's move on to film editing. The nominees, Anatomy of a Fall, Lawrence Seneschal, have not seen. The Holdovers, Kevin Tent. I'm shocked at that nomination. I thought the the Editing in the holdovers is one of the worst things about that movie. <laughs> not only is it not Oscar worthy, it's 
It's mock-worthy. I, you should be mocking the editing and the foldovers. Very poor. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon, I think, is my winner for best film editing. Like, Thelma, <laughs> she's the reason why... Good editing is the reason why you don't feel like time passing. Like I mentioned in the Killers of the Flower Moon episode, uh, three and a half hours just flew by like uh, you wouldn't believe. And that's all due to Thelma, just the, the great Thel Thelma. <laughs> right. Then we have Jennifer Lame for Oppenheimer, which quality movie. I just, it's not your year, Jen. Sorry. Then we have Yorgos Mavro. Mavropsaradis for poor things, which uh, I do apologize for fucking up that name, but uh, you're also not winning it, so let's just move on. Then international feature film. We have, I don't I.O. Capitano from Italy, Perfect Days from Japan, Society of the Snow from Spain, the Teacher's Lounge from Germany, The Zone of Interest from the United Kingdom. And once again, sorry, <laughs> haven't seen a single one of them, but uh, I am interested in seeing, well, obviously The Zone of Interest because it got a, a, a Best Picture norm, but the rest of these, very interested in seeing. It's just, uh, obviously I have to wait for them to come out on streaming because uh, there's no way we're gonna get this in a theater. <laughs> Perfect days, I'll never hear, I'll never see that in a theater. All right. <clears throat> Makeup and hairstyling. Nominees are Golda. Uh, I can't remember. Is Golda about like the lady who was in the IDF? Uh, anyway, Karen Hartley Thomas, Susie Bartersby and Ashra Kelly Blue. They, then for Maestro, Kazoo Hero, K. Giorgio and Laurie McCoy Bell. For Oppenheimer, Louisa Abel. For Poor Things, Nadia Stacy, Mark Coulier, and Josh Weston. Society of the Snow, Anna Lopez, Puig Puesiva, David Marty, and Monsa Ribe. My uh, winner is Poor Things because the. Uh, I, I spoke about it in the episode, but the. All the production design is gorgeous. It's just, this is the the category Oppenheimer was weakest in. Therefore, poor things, you get the, the, the win. I have not seen Society of the Snow or Golda, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt. It could be either of those, but uh, let's move on. Music, original score. We have American Fiction, Laura Kaufman. Indiana Jones in the Dial of Destiny, John Williams, one million percent a uh, uh, a legacy nomination for that. Uh, the, I don't remember anything of the score from that. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon, Robbie Robertson, very very good score. I enjoyed it so much, <laughs> but unfortunately, Ludwig Göransson for Oppenheimer. Um, I often play. Can you hear the music? Uh, like. Almost every morning, I listen to that. Uh, amazing, amazing song. Sounds beautiful. One of the best uh, 
new uh, song since uh, stay from interstellar in the nolan movie uh, yeah then we have just confendricks on poor things uh, i know <laughs> sorry rude you know pack it up try again next year and then music original song i couldn't tell you either way uh, none of these like uh, I, i don't remember any of these from their respective movies i've heard people talking about i'm just ken but i think i fell asleep in that portion of the movie <laughs> it's just uh, bobby is not good gang it's not good uh, right so nominee is the fine side from flame and not music and lyrics by diane warren I'm just Ken from Barbie. Music and lyrics by Mark Ronson and Andrew Wyatt. It never went away from American Symphony. Music and lyrics by John Batiste and Dan Wilson. Wa za zi, a song for my people from Killers of the Flower Moon. Music and lyric by George Scott George. What was I made for from Barbie? Music and lyrics by Billy Eilish and Phineas O'Connell. then the big one best picture we have the nominees are american fiction we are okay i'm not going to read out the producers fuck the producers i'm just going to read the name right american fiction which i have not seen anatomy of a fall i have not seen bobby uh not worthy of being here the holdovers i have seen very good movie deserves to be here one of the best of the year Killers of the Flower Moon, one of the best of the year. Put it on the list. Maestro, get the fuck out. One of the worst on this list, even worse than Barbie. Um, Oppenheimer, best movie of the year. Nolan's gonna finally win his uh, both for both for best picture and his directing Oscar. Uh, Past Lives, my number two movie of last year. Uh, I cried. <laughs> and uh, yeah, amazing, amazing movie. poor things i did an episode about it last week as i mentioned earlier there's just something missing it's oscar worthy but it's not winning the oscar worthy the zone of interest i have not seen cannot comment so yes like <laughs> like most categories that we've gone through here oppenheimer oppenheimer all the way then production design nominees bobby Sarah Greenwood, Katie Spencer, Killers of the Flower Moon, Jack Fisk, Adam Wallace, Napoleon, Arthur Max, Ellie Griff, Oppenheimer, Ruth De Jong, Cliff Kaufman, Poor Things, James Price and Shona Heath, Juja Mihalik. And I think Bobby should have won it. <laughs> like I said, it's this is the only categories that it these are the people who actually deserve it the people who made that uh, i believe it's called a mojo dojo casa set uh, whatever but the the entire set was amazingly well done so yes animated short film we have letter to a pig by tel cantor and amit r giselter 95 senses by Yerusha Hess and Jared Hess. Our uniform by Yegan Mogadam. Packaderm by Stephanie Clement and Mark Royce. 
War is Over! Exclamation mark, inspired by the music of John and o- Yoko by Dave Mullins and Brad Booker. Then we have live action short film uh, The After by Misan Harriman and Nikki Bentham. Invincible by Vincent Rand Lorty and Samuel Carroll. Night of Fortune by Lassie Lickshire Noor and Christian Norlick. Red, White and Blue by Nazrin Chowdhury and Sarah McFarlane. The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, Wes Anderson and Stephen Rails. Uh, sorry, I don't think I mentioned animated short film and live action short film. I haven't seen any one of them except The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. So I really can't comment on either category because yeah, I don't have enough information. Then... For sound, I think um, Napoleon was snubbed because I'm looking at this list and the the sound that I most... Oh, sorry. And also Ferrari, which will be our episode next week. I feel the two of them were snubbed. But I have not seen the crater and I have not seen the zone of interest, so I can't speak to it too much. What I can say is Mission Impossible, definitely not. Maestro, definitely not. Oppenheimer, yes, because of when the Trinity bomb goes off and the 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 sound hits you like a wall. That is incredible. But Maestro and Mission Impossible, definitely not. Get out of here. <sighs> Visual effects. We have The Crater, which I have not seen. Godzilla Minus One, which I have seen. In amazing movie and my winner. Uh... Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. <sighs> Very overrated, awful movie. Uh, let me down massively. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Also, definitely not the winner. Then, Napoleon. Mm. They shot the fucking horse with the. <laughs> They shot a horse with a cannonball, bro. <laughs> I think, I think, no, fuck Godzilla minus one. I'm giving to Napoleon. Oh, that was a, <laughs> that was a big moment for me. Next, we have best adapted screenplay. And <clears throat> first, we have American Fiction by Cord Jefferson, which I have not seen. Barbie by Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, definitely not. Oppenheimer, written for screen by Christopher Nolan, absolutely my winner. Um, Poor Things, no. Uh, Although I've heard it's not a very good adaptation of the book. It's kind of using the book as a jumping off point and then, uh, you know, doing its own thing. So I don't know how good of an adaptation it is. Then we have The Zone of Interest, which again, I haven't seen. Can't speak to it. And finally, our last category, Best Original Screenplay. <laughs> Anatomy of a Fall, Justin Trey and Arthur Harari have not seen. The Holdovers by David Hemmingson. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I'll mention it in my recommendation section, but I definitely enjoyed The Holdovers a lot. Then we have Maestro, get out, get out, get the fuck out. May, December, you know, this is actually a very stacked category, right? Holdovers, May, December, and Past Lives. 
three very deserving movies. Uh, personally, I'll say Past Lives as my winner, but uh, clearly, uh, like I said, it's a very, very tight race between those three, I feel. Um, next, I thought we could introduce something called the Spotlight segment. This is a segment where we try to spotlight a leftist project, for example, a worker-based co-op, any leftist newspaper, pamphlet, literature in general, or any opportunities to do praxis. If you'd like your work to be spotlighted, please send an email to paceippod at gmail.com. That's P-A-I-C-I-P-P-O-D at gmail.com with the name of your organization what you do, and what people can do to get involved and support this project. This week's spotlight is on 5-6 Tambo. I'm reading this from their website now. 5-6-Tambo.co.za Quote, 5-6 Tambo is an ex- inclusive arts venue where individuals from all backgrounds, abilities, and identities can express themselves creatively. Powered by a socialist cooperative, we provide a platform for diverse stories, perspectives, and talents through various art forms, including painting, sculpture, music, dance, theater, literature, and film. End quote. They are open from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Saturday and can be found at 56 Oliver Tambo Road, Bloemfontein Central. So join up with other radicals to use their facilities to work, play, or create art, or just to visit and view the art. So yeah, I think that's a pretty cool little venture, and I'm glad to be spreading the word about it. Let's get into the context for the movie. And let's start our discussion by speaking about Miramax. Miramax was uh, the Harvey Weinstein company, but he's been thrown out since then, so yeah. Miramax was the leading independent production and distribution company in the 90s. You know, essentially the A24 of its day. So to emulate this, the Fox Corporation created Fox Searchlight Pictures to acquire and distribute independent movies. Since Disney acquired Fox, the name has been changed to just Searchlight Pictures. You know, I assume because Justin Timberlake told them it was cleaner. Uh, This movie is directed by Andrew Hay. Well, I don't know how to pronounce it, right? It's H-A-I-G-H. So is it Hay? Or is it Haig? Right? Hay? Haig. You decide. Well, <laughs> you don't decide. That's his name. <laughs> you know, he, he'll probably say how it's pronounced. But uh, I never heard of him. But when I checked his credits, I realized I had seen a TV show he made. It's called Looking. It's about a gay man trying to find love in San Francisco. So... If you're familiar with the show Insecure, Insecure is to black women what looking is to gay men, right? I also saw there was is an assistant editor on the Ridley Scott movies Black Hawk Down and Gladiator. So, you know, hopefully he learned a thing or two about a thing or two from, you know, Old Riddle. This movie stars Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Paul Mascal is already one of my favorite actors, just off the strength of his performance in After Sun. Andrew Scott played Moriarty on Sherlock and plays the priest on Fleabag. Due to this, he is colloquially known as, quote, the hot priest, end quote, which I don't see. <laughs> you know, sorry to be that guy again, but Andrew Scott does not do it for me. 
you know, but uh, Paul Mescal on the other end, well, well, well. Anyway, uh, this movie is based on the book Strangers by Taichi Yamada, which, sorry, I have not read it. <laughs> I can't give any context in that area, so, uh, yeah, I do apologize. Uh, and yeah, sorry about giving so much information about the the uh, the distribution. You know, I I read a lot about distribution because you know I want to see the movies and what movies come to South Africa. So I need to like read about the distributors so I can like find out those things. But I don't really look into production, which I think I should be doing. Uh, but yeah. So my thoughts on the movies. Well, <laughs> not the movies in general, just this movie, right? So first of all, this movie is gorgeously shot. Get a lot of great establishing shots as well as uh, out of his apartment window of the London skyline and that wonderful light blue fading into dark blue in the evening sky. You get those brilliant infinity shots when you're by the mirror and you see millions of reflections. Uh, reminds me a lot of Citizen Kane where they did something very similar. Um, this movie is also very sensually shot, right? So, <laughs> unfortunately, on this podcast, we usually cover baby movies, so I don't get to talk about chemistry between leads, and uh, the way this movie is shot just adds to the hotness of it, right? Very few filmmakers know how to film a, sec a sensual scene, right? They know how to do sex, uh, but even in that, like, the sex is very, like, primal or animalistic. That's the default expression of sex, but it's never, like, romantic or, you know, like I said, sensual, you know. Is that so wrong? Is that so wrong for us to want a little bit of romance once in a while? <sighs> anyway, <laughs> right? The acting in this movie is phenomenal. I think you can see why I hold Paul Miskell in such high esteem. Andrew Scott is also very good, and he's a very good actor in general, but uh, Paul Miskell is just different level. Maybe it's a weird comparison, but he has a very naturalistic charisma. It reminds me a lot of Marlon Brando. Everyone else was just fine. Uh, Jamie Bell looks a lot like Tom Holland, so I just kept thinking about Spider-Man, and that's fucking... Spider-Man movie I hate every time he came on screen and uh, maybe I'm downplaying Andrew Scott by talking about Paul Mescal so much you know so to be clear I loved Andrew Scott in this movie it's just I love Paul Mescal a lot more you know again sorry <laughs> right in terms of tone this reminded me a lot of a Hitchcockian movie in that it has a, a tense uneasy feel to it rear window specifically because there's this big window in his living room that he keeps looking out of just reminded me of that movie then um, at some point Paul Mescal is reading the book Walden which is a book about living in a cabin in the woods <laughs> which uh, I read that book uh, like I don't know when I was a teen and I thought oh that's so cool dude you go live as a a hermit in the hinterlands and like that's like holidays I went to stay with my grandparents and 
they didn't have wi-fi in their house and i was dying <laughs> and that's when i thought to myself like yo if i can't survive without wi-fi in like a house how am i going to survive <laughs> being <laughs> on the lam you know like in the wilderness you know i'll probably die on day 1 it's uh it's just not feasible for me to do that so yeah anyway the the main point is that book walden is about the isolation of living in nature alone the yes loneliness is the overarching theme of this movie paul mescal you know without spoiling is very lonely andrew scott is very lonely and those are the two main characters right or the only two that we see any kind of interiority with the the parents they don't really you know we don't find out any uh, anything about them right next point paul mescal and jamie bell are both part of the international brotherhood of mustachioed men you know uh, it's good to see us being portrayed positively in film you know jamie bell being support of his son being a homosexual and you know paul mescal just being hot uh usually in movies they show uh, a a guy with a mustache as like the bad guy or like you know there's some negative connotation but guess what we just like having a mustache there's nothing wrong with that people have mustaches get used to it you fucks um <laughs> then um in terms of plot i thought the first two thirds of this movie were exceptional this movie was well on its way to being a 9 or even a 10 but then it totally fell apart in the final act the movie we're watching or that i thought we were watching is about andrew scott who gets visions of his parents this is due to grief as he never got uh, you know over the loss of them his romance with paul mescal helps him come to terms with losing his parents and then they live happily ever after the twist that paul mescal is dead too robs us of that sweet love story right the grief over losing his parents has been transferred over you know to losing paul mescal now you know uh, like the the message being put forward is that he should let go and move on with his life but he's not really letting go he's just found something else to hold on to which is Paul Mescal in this case right now are these people ghosts or is it just Andrew Scott's imagination right personally i think it's his imagination first of all because he's a writer of some sort and we see the one sentence he wrote which was 70s house comma exterior or something similar so i believe everything we see with the parents is what's in his novel or whatever he was writing right I don't know if it was a novel or like a screenplay or whatever it is, right? But whether or not there were ghosts or just his imagination, my problem about holding on remains. How is Andrew Scott supposed to move on if he's getting blowjobs from a ghost, right? <laughs> I wouldn't move on with my life if I was getting blowjobs from a ghost. I'm just saying. And homosexual blowjobs from a ghost, you know. Is that any different? I don't know. I couldn't tell you I have no I have no <laughs> I have no experience in this area sorry <laughs> right uh and yeah it ends on a banger song the power of love by Frankie goes to Hollywood which uh I'd never heard of before but I've listened to like 
five or six times now since like as I was writing this document so yeah <laughs> very good song all right let's just get into the recommendations for the week uh continuing on blank blank checks James L Brooks series I watched Spanglish romantic comedy from the mid 2000s starring Adam Sandler and Paz Vega so when I was younger I remember liking this movie a lot but uh on rewatch it's not good he lacks the charm and romance of his earlier movies the James L Brooks I mean not Adam Sandler so I gave it a 6 um then last week in the poor things episode I spoke about the movies of Yorgos Lanthimos and the only one I hadn't seen was the favorite which I watched this week I don't know if it was unreasonable expectations but I thought it was only like an 8 out of 10 I kept hearing that this was his best movie and it's nowhere near the case to me the lobster is his best movie I also can't believe that Olivia Colman won best actress for this performance you know she's good but it's not oscar worthy not even worthy of being nominated and <laughs> olivia colman is can produce far better than what she did in the the favorite so i just really don't get it at all then i you know following on along the new blank check series on barbara streisand with the 1976 version of a star is born So this movie is far too long. All <laughs> right. You can chop a full 40 minutes out without losing anything. I also didn't feel like the relationship between Streisand and Chris Christopherson was believable. I gave it a 6. Next, I watched the TV show Severance. The show is what it's is what I would call faux intellectualism, right? It thinks it's smart and saying profound things, but it's actually incredibly dumb. I kept getting recommended this by people whose judgment I don't trust. Despite this, I tried to keep an open mind and it felt like I wasted hours and hours of my life, right? If you want to watch a show in this genre that is actually profound, watch Mr. Robot. Or if you want a more fun version, watch Legion. I gave Severance a 5. Then I watched The Holdovers. It's a new Alexander Payne movie. and it was just nominated for best picture so it was already out on streaming so i you know decided to give it a watch give it a gander and i had never heard of alexander payne before but apparently he directs these hoity toity movies but i didn't really get that impression at all from watching this i thought it was sweet i thought it was heartfelt and it was about a teacher connecting with a student and you know i'm a tutor myself so uh I like to you know inspire young minds so uh, I like this movie a lot right it reminded me a lot of dead poets society i gave it a 9 finally i watched yentl the next movie in the blank check barbara streisand series and i liked it way more than a star is born it's about a woman who wants to become a rabbi but due to jewish custom she can't uh and she like dresses up as a as a male rabbi and gets high in the temple <laughs> not gets high as in smokes marijuana i mean she uh becomes a, a rabbi in the temple because they think she's a man uh yeah and again i gave her an 8 out of 10 so yeah 
that's my thoughts on the movie so thank you for listening please remember to rate review subscribe give a like etc important you need to be a five star review please subscribe on patreon to listen to our movie commentaries you can find all our links at pixip.com please tell her that's p a i c i p.com please tell a friend tell that friend to tell a friend tell a family member yeah thank you for listening bye all right